The book that couldn't be written is now the motion picture that couldn't be made. Myra Breckenridge. I'll be right with you, boys. Get your resumes out. Memo to Flagler and Flagler attorneys. Dear Charlie. Hmm, honey, that feels real good. Hey, uh, what's your name, honey? I'm Myra Breckenridge. <sighs> yeah. What? How do you? How? How does indignation work? Well, anyway, welcome everybody to the Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And uh, boy, we have a bucket of indignation to give you today. Yeah, if you listen to the first two parts of our show, then you are not prepared for the crazy fiasco we are about to talk about right now. Well, in a way, if you, if you did listen to the Perfect Blue uh, portion of the episode, you might have a little bit... Well, hmm. No, I should take that back, because I think that Perfect Blue is made by a filmmaker who has like a really strong vision, who oh, yeah. really was able to balance between mixing fantasy and reality. The director of this movie that we're about to talk about couldn't balance a checkbook. No. Uh, <laughs> is that a good way to start off talking about this? Listen, we have, J- Jack and I, we've seen some, some crazy movies, and we've seen some real fiascos in our time. Th- movies that come to mind are films like After Last Season, mm-hmm. uh, other films like Incredibly Strange Mixed Up Zombies, who whatever that yeah, movie no, was. No one cared about that movie, but you know they're just films that. Oh, Double Down. Double Down. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Every time I think about that movie, I forget its title. Yeah, you, you forget that it shares a name with a KFC product that hurts you to eat it. Hmm. <laughs> but we, we just watched Myra Breckenridge. Yes, this is our this is the movie that we decided as a special treat. Um, you know, because you've made it now to fifty two episodes. Yay! Yay! For you. Yes, you have listened. You know, there are enough episodes that you could listen to us talk once a week for a year, and it only took us a year and a half to get here. But but we decided somehow. Well. You had wanted to watch this movie going back a little while. Yeah, I had heard about this film, like, vaguely before, but then I saw the trailers from Hell trailer where they talked about this film in, you know, in oh. comparison to Val- Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. I'll have to watch that. And, and I found out, all right, this is this is going to be a, a, a monster of a film. <laughs> and and not, not a good monster. Like, it's not a monster in the way that, ooh, this is a... Like, cause sometimes not a might... good monster like Titus. I no. mean, a bad monster like, um, like uh... in Godzilla <laughs> metaphor, it's not a. It's it's when Godzilla is bad. It's not when Godzilla is good. Ah, there you go. All right. Well, yeah, I heard about this movie too. Uh, I think I'd heard about it because it is listed among the more notoriously bad movies that Hollywood has produced. Uh, just in the past 50 years, if not longer. Uh, and uh, now a lot of you may have not heard of this movie. That's something that we should keep in mind when we're talking about this, because... But like 
forbidden knowledge that's best left off forgotten, we're gonna dredge it up. No, and we're, bring it to the surface. We're 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 resurrecting Jason uh in like the twelfth movie when there's no good reason to resurrect him, but here he is anyway, and now he's gonna kill more people. Friday the thirteenth, part twelve. Well, here we go again. <laughs> Friday the thirteenth, part twelve. Well, we got your money. Um, but Myra Breckenridge is this Based on a novel by Gore Vidal. Yes. How does that happen? Uh, apparently you said, though, that it's based, like, from what you've heard, it's really, the book is written as if it's from Myra's diaries. Your wife said that, not oh, me. Oh, okay, my wife said that. Yeah, yeah, Corey watched but, this with us. But but apparently the the uh, the movie got disowned by Gore Vidal. Yes, he, he called it the second worst film he ever saw. And I'd be curious what the was the worst. The first was Caligula. Really? <laughs> I would guess. That would be... <laughs> I will say this. I think that this is worse than Caligula. I don't know. No. I, Caligula at least has Malcolm McDowell. Well, like, uh, Malcolm McDowell... Raquel Welch. I would put this Raquel Welch against no. your Malcolm McDowell Ra- any day Raquel, of the week. No. No way. Yes. No way. Yes. Maca- yes. Raquel Welch <laughs> is just bad in this movie. Malcolm McDowell... He at least knows what kind of movie he's in, and he's he had the time of his life in Caligula. Now... He, the problem was he was surrounded by a whirlwind of crap, but he was the shining star of this. Raquel Welch just does not stand out for me in this movie. Like I don't think any of the she, actors in this film are particularly bad, except probably Rex Reed. But uh, it's just the script they have makes everybody seem bad. Now, I mean, oh, and it's not like she's the only she's the only raft in the storm of garbage. It's there are plenty of other good actors and actresses in this film. I want my share to go to you. You realize once you cut it off, it won't grow back. Great bunch of boys here. Of course, you get the occasional weirdo, but, uh, like anywhere, but the uh, greatest bunch of kids in Hollywood. have all the kinky angles that are in right now. I mean, have you any that I don't know about? (laughs) Oh, Letitia. What about studs? They don't call you the queen of the casting couch for nothing. Now, an interesting piece of trivia I literally just read was that apparently when Raquel Welch was hired for the movie, she thought she was going to be playing both Myra and Myron. Oh. And she... Oh, let, let me just clear this up a bit, because... We should we, tell we, them we what talk... it's about. Okay. Or so... at least in the very basic <laughs> terms. Because this movie has a premise. It doesn't have a story. No, it certainly does not. And let, let me give you an idea of what we're dealing with. The movie starts out with Myron Breckenridge. Myron, a, a man, who is clearly be having his genitals removed by John Carradine, no less. And... In the next scene we see him, he is Myra Breckenridge, played by uh, Raquel, Welch. Raquel Welch. I don't know why I forgot her name. but It's fine. I, I sometimes forget her. He's a transsexual. He's he's now a woman. Uh, but he but Rex Reed, who plays Myron, still shows up. There's like this sort of double character, or the same character being played by two different people. It's like he's inside of her head, or she's inside of his head. He'll appear in the room when she is in the room. But people won't acknowledge him, and yet the two of them will talk to each other. It's like William Hurt in Mr. Brooks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> A movie I thought I'd never speak of, speak of again. <laughs> oh, God, Mr. Brooks. Um, I probably enjoyed Mr. Brooks more than this. Oh, yeah. 
I, 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 we should just use Myra Breckenridge now as the that, goalpost. The way that you brought up the Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies. Oh, we're going to ask that question later on. But anyway, so Myra goes to California to get money from her uncle. She's posing as the wife of Myron, who she actually is, and is trying to get her share of the inheritance. Meanwhile, she's also trying to seduce one of these actor students who's in this school that her uncle, played by John Huston, owns. Yeah, you you somehow ringed out more story than there even is in this movie. Because the thing to know about this, if you had any curiosity about this, it's a mess. This thing is a mess from start to finish. It is... There was a film critic who apparently saw, after seeing this movie, uh, said, and I quote, Myra Breckenridge is about as funny as a child molester. Jesus. (laughs) Which is only, (laughs) you know, that's among, like, it's weird that in the early 70s, there were all these really scathing reviews of movies. Like, sometimes they deserved it, sometimes not. I always remember for Harold, Harold and Maude. Have you you've heard of that movie? I know of that movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a roman it's a romance story sort of between a young guy and an old woman. A very atypical film, but one that's that's well liked. Oh yeah, yeah, it's looked at as like a kind of quirky masterpiece. And I like it quite a bit. But there was this critic who said this is about as funny as a burning orphanage. Wow. <laughs> I wish we got more reviews like that. I know. I love that like phrasing. By the way, if you want to review our podcast, uh, please uh, leave a review, rate us, and subscribe on iTunes. Leave a, as witty of a put-down as you like. We will appreciate it. Yeah, sure. I mean, hopefully we're a little bit funnier than a burning orphanage. Maybe we're, maybe we're as funny as a burning... Uh, Marshmallow pos- factory? Ah, see, that's tasty, though. At least there you could cook some s'mores. There. Um, The thing about this movie is that you have this cast, which, full of weirdly cast Hollywood royalty. You have Mae West. Yeah. Who was... As a talent agent, I think. I think? I don't know. Who just... I don't know who she is! But her thing, her soul-defining characteristic, is that she sleeps with all the men she represents. Yeah, and she surrounds herself with, like, really young men. Now, the other key thing to remember here... And she sings once. Meyer, uh, not Meyer, Mae West, I'm actually looking her up on IMDb as we're talking, before Meyer Breckenridge, she hadn't been in a movie in 27 years. Ooh. Like, I mean... I think, wa- oh, this is Mae West. She was a big star back she in was the day. In, uh, she was in that uh, W.C. Fields movie, uh, My Little Chickadee. Yeah, I know. Um, I know you know it, because it was on Welcome to the Basement. Um... <laughs> That's how I don't believe you've seen it. I know you know it because of that. But actually, she, I don't think I've ever actually seen a Mae West film. Yeah, I mean, well, she was in she was in a handful of movies in the 30s. She did some songs, um, but she's she actually, in this she's in this movie, and her entire performance is, "Hey there, I'm gonna be at this club, and I'm talking in this voice, and I'm gonna be Mrs. Sexy Old Lady here." And lots of dick jokes. Ah. <sighs> She was she was seventy three when she was in this movie. Wow! Like, and then also, yeah, John Huston plays the uncle, who spends most of his performance in a thirty gallon cowboy hat. Yeah, it's like they he asked, "Oh, what's my character? You're a cowboy. You wear a hat." I think I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this makes me sad. There's no review by Roger Ebert 
I can oh, see right no. now. I'd like to find he it. He was too busy get, collecting all that money for Beyond the Value of the Dolls. <laughs> That's, you know what, though? You you laughed. That was probably the reason. He was probably busy finishing that up. Uh, but Well... Um, I, I think we got the we got the better of uh, of two options. But there. but yeah, so you have those two in the movie. You also have um, again Raquel, Raquel Welch. I didn't recognize Farrah Fawcett. Neither did I. Apparently that she played Mary Ann Pringle or something. And I then don't even um, re- I don't even remember any other characters' names aside from no. Myra and these Myron. people have characters. They're 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 here. They they they, they do things. Uh, Rusty is played by an actor named Roger Heron, who Rusty is the man that she that Myra is trying to seduce. But I don't. That's not even. But the the crazy thing about this movie that's not even clear until at least well halfway in the movie. Mm. And by that point, they this movie does not you it does not have a good straight line to say the least. No, by I, I, everything I've told you about this film comes to light in basically the first act. By the middle of the second act, the film has completely lost the thread of its own plot. And it kind of meanders until it decides, we're over. <laughs> well, it this isn't in defense of the movie, but you could say that you know, it, it is a product of its time. How so? Well, it was made in 1969 at a time when... Uh, you know, finally the shackles of the Hays Code, the old ways of Hollywood, were let go. Uh, they, you know, people could make a rated R movie for adults, and they could make things a little bit more stream of conscious. Like you could have things that took tangents and took. You could take chances on a movie. I you mean, you could play with the, the structure. and yeah, you could add more sex and violence. In April of t- 1970, Midnight Cowboy won Best Picture, and it was originally rated X. Right. Um. First rate X movie also to officially screen in the White House. Cool. Uh, I say officially. officially. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I'm sure I, I saw a few X rated movies in my time. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I think Kennedy's <laughs> a little too classy for an X rated film. However, uh, Lyndon Johnson. Oh boy. Oh, <laughs> he had some time swinging his nuts with that. Um. All right, we're getting off track, but the point is. You know what's funny? Could, you said that in the nineteenth, in the beginning of the seventies, people were starting to make R-rated films for adults. Well, now, late sixties. Nowadays, nobody's making R-rated films for adults. Well, you, it, not <laughs> not very often a major way. Or if they make radar movies, it's like even Deadpool, which you know we we enjoyed that quite a bit. That's a radar movie for thirteen year olds. Yeah. If that makes sense, like that's a movie for thirteen-year-olds that happens to have a whole lot of curse words. Clever and... as that film is, and very unlikable as it is, that was clearly meant for teens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's which is fine. Now, yeah, this... actually, it worked out for the better. Now, the thing about Mayor Breckenridge, though, the one of the major problems with it, though, is the fact that you have now you can say words like "fuck" and "shit" and dick and wh- and you can whatever. have bare breasts on screen. you can have bare breasts on Nudity. screen there we go and what do these filmmakers do what does this genius this guy michael sarn do he basically has the maturity level of a 12 year old mm. it's it's he try i think it's trying to be a comedy but it completely falls on its face the satire doesn't connect because there aren't really clear targets like throughout the movie uh, the they 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 edit in clips from old movies. You see scene you see shots and scenes from Laurel and Hardy movies. 
something from a Peter Lorre movie. Yeah. Peter Lorre shows up. I felt like I saw Vincent Price at one point. There, um, there was something from Zorro. Judy Garland I saw. Uh, so all these old Hollywood time people, and occasionally they'll also show images of things. I think this director, like, he, I think he had it in his head that, well, Godard did it with Breathless. He had his main character Matt patterning himself on uh, Bogart. So this movie is just going to be all about Hollywood pattering themselves. and But there's, but it's complete, it's got its head so far up its ass. Yeah. All right, here's, here, here's the maturity level of Myra Breckenridge. There's, there's a sex scene in the middle of the film. And the clip that they show right after that is from that Laurel and Hardy film of a cork popping out of a bottle and, and foam spraying all the way out of the and, top. And, and, and you see, after a very disturbing scene, which we'll get to in a minute, like a shot of that cuts to a dam bursting. Yeah. Uh, images like that, things that... Very ham-handed. Very ham-handed. Just stupid. This is a stupid movie. <laughs> Let's just call it for what it is. I don't have a better word for it, Andrew. It's like how Batman v Superman was dumb. This is just stupid. And like, and and, I, and again, shockingly I stupid. Oh my god! It's like, <laughs> it's, it, it's and it's even stupider because it thinks it's smart. Yeah. Oh, that, oh, that's the worst of it. That that's when you get into really troublesome territory, which this movie is so troubled because it. I, here's another piece of trivia that I'd like to share with you about this movie. This is one of the things I, I love about this. Um, because not only was it a critical disaster, this movie was also a financial disaster. It went wildly over budget. Oof. And the reason why it did, in part, was... Um, uh, Here, what was well, the let budget me, let me, for this? That's a good question. Uh, let me look this up, because now I'm, I'm actually quite curious. Uh... Actually, not that high. It was five million, which I guess yeah. that's okay for this kind of movie. Okay, fine. But it made three million, which again, that's which is whatever. Awful. But it was more so the more the critical side. But all right, so the producer David Geiler, who of all things went on to produce Alien, um, he said that one day he came to the set and filming was really behind schedule, and apparently the entire cast and crew who were fuming said that they spent their whole day and they were still getting paid, even though there was no film shot. And the director was photographing a cake for eight hours. I don't even remember a cake in the film. Yeah, I was I was trying to look for a cake. Maybe <laughs> did he artfully shoot a cake to like somehow be the greatest looking cake in the history wow, of movies? Wow, he shot it so artfully we didn't even notice it. Yeah, and then I, then I, apparently the director would go off in the corner and quote think for six to seven hours at a stretch. Um, do you think maybe he was on acid? I think he was on some kind of drugs no, and was usually, freaking out. Films usually shot uh, on, under the influence of drugs don't aren't usually this boring. No, it's, but here's the thing: you say five million dollars. I didn't see half of five million dollars on that screen. <laughs> I, unless you were paying for the rights for those film clips, I couldn't. I, I couldn't tell you where those five million dollars went. And now apparently I know it went on eight-hour-long cake shots. Yes. The only way you could justify a five million dollar budget is if you had everybody standing around playing paddle ball with themselves while everybody was just getting set up. Yeah. Um. 
Now, I think that this guy ended, like, he did make a couple of more movies after this, but his career basically tanked and went nowhere. Um, and again, I think that at the time, again, this director probably thought, hey, it's the 60s, man, or it was 1969. Hey, it's the end of the 60s, man. We need to do something different. We need to expand minds. And so, and it's crazy to think that, as I think, as this was made at Fox, and at the same time this is going on, Russ Meyer and Roger Ebert are making Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Which is a very, both movies are very similar. In, well, in what way? Not, in a way where... They're both trying to be intentionally outrageous. They're both trying to be outrageous. They're both exploring this idea of Hollywood society. Mm. Uh, this I and uh, this sort of idea about America and also trying to use, like be clever with you know their fast cuts and uh, outrageous yeah. characters and people who are just uh, characters who are outrageous. Yeah. And the difference between Myra Breckenridge and Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, uh, by the way, check out my Beyond the Valley of the Dolls uh, cinema immersion tank. Yep, That's there you cool. go. Uh, is really this... Energy. You and I talked about this during the film. Uh, Beyond the Dolls has an incredible energy where it's this crazy... The script doesn't make a lot of sense, but the film moves so fast that you don't have time to think about how things don't make sense. Which is probably why I think you wanted to watch it five times. So that maybe you could try to make sense of it. Well, and and I and I eventually I realized no it's not important to make sense of it. Uh, it's well, that's, just well, that's it's just the sometimes. energy of the whole film really propels you and and experiencing that is much more important than figuring yeah. out the the subtleties <clears throat> of the plot. And a big problem with Meyer Breckenridge is that it doesn't really have that consistent energy. It doesn't They're... have that consistent energy of performance. The actors in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls aren't the greatest actors. There's barely there is there are no names in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. But and they're not great actors. Some are not even good actors. But no. still, Russ they're, Meyer they're got some sort it. of. They were committed, and they, Russ Meyer got some so, sort of performance out of them. See, see, you bring up Raquel Welch as the bright spot of the movie. I thought she was terrible. I thought that she was. She's not the bright spot of the movie. But she, to be she, fair, nobody is. I think that maybe she was trying her best with what was given, but I feel like she was given so little that. She plays up every line to be campy, and yet it doesn't connect in a way that feels satisfying. No. Um, uh, part of the reason is, this was something that I noticed. There's a scene between Raquel Welch and Mae West, mm-hmm. where they're talking in this sort of cafe or something. Right. And this is where I was beginning to notice, I didn't think that her performance was bad. It was just the script, no matter how well you performed the script of Myra Breckenridge. <laughs> yes. It would still be the crappy, stupid script to Myra yes. Breckenridge. Yes, the script that no matter makes how that... gruff and amiable John Huston is, and no matter how Mae West yeah. tries to put in her double entendres, uh, and no matter how much Raquel Welch just puts all of her energy and cuteness into everything, you could not elevate that material any more than it was on that page. Just seeing, just seeing you're thinking about it, I think a key problem, too, is the fact that having something that works as camp, it, it needs to come from something that's authentic. Yes. The way that the Rocky Heart Picture Show, if you were to look objectively at it, maybe not a great movie. Maybe not it even very not. good. <laughs> um, but, it's not very good. But everybody is so invested in it. 
and everybody's really there to try and do things. Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter is the dictionary definition of investment. <laughs> yeah, or even Meatloaf when he shows up. And I'm not even a Meatloaf fan. Me but either. When, but when he pops up in Rocky Horror, it's like, oh my god, this is cool. <laughs> Um, he literally explodes into the freezer. frame. Yeah. Yes. And they trying to do camp is very tricky, and it usually ends up not turning out well. This wanted to be campy. It wanted to do lots of different things, like a crazy European art film. Hmm. And again, including all that footage. In a weird way, it reminded me of the work. Like, there was this director years back... Um, who uh, his name was Dusan Makayev, and he 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 did a lot of very experimental stuff, often including old clips of movies. But there it worked because he was in Eastern Europe. He had more of a trying to do something political. This is just garbage. This is just a piece of hot garbage. Yeah. Um. I don't know what to, what else to say about it. It's just. Um, you know what? What I think is a good thing to think about with this film is to think about it really as that companion piece to Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. You, I, you, you know that I like to talk about like my companion films. Okay. Like if I was gonna watch Children of Men, I would also want to watch Shoot 'Em Up. Uh, and if I was gonna watch Sicario right after that, I'd want to watch Two Guns. See, I remember you telling me about Sicario and Two Guns. Yeah, it's not important. Was that because of the cartels? Yes. Oh, because one movie is really they, being like they, a work of they, art they, they and the other one is a piece of trash? They have important thematic links. I mean, uh, and whether that's, you know, plot or setting or whether it's like a, 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 a same year or a similar genre, it's like a different take on a certain thing. And what I really like... And I would com I would put these two films together because they were just so close in production. You know, same studio, same yeah. ethos, that same sort of it's the 60s, we're going to do something crazy idea. Mm -hmm. But you watch Myra Breckenridge first and see how it doesn't work at all. Then you go see Beyond v the Valley of the Dolls and see, oh, it's not because of the idea. It's just because there was a, there was a group of people who was not committed Yes. Instead, we had an artist do the same thing, and it's so much better. Yes, he. Uh, it, yeah, I, again, the main thing comes down to talent and vision, and having something to say that really makes an impact. Like, yeah, I could say that these that Beyond the Valley of Dolls and Meyer Breckenridge are companion films, but that's kind of like saying that. Uh, um like a healthy strong man has as his companion a you know a disheveled drunk fucked up like old woman hanging from him by like handcuffs if they were fraternal twins there you go oh yeah yeah it's it's like um Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and Meyer Breckenridge are like twins separated at if, birth. If, no, 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 not even that. If they were twins, it's kind of like... It, do, do, were you there when we watched the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy miniseries? No, I was not. You never watched that. Well, in that series, they had a... Uh, there's this character in the in the, in the the series named Zaphod Beeblebrox. The guy with two heads. Yeah, but in the series, 
they had another head put to him, but the head was always slumped over and couldn't really work because properly. It was, because it was a prop. And, that head is Meyer cheap. Breckenridge. <laughs> <laughs> it's the parasitic twin that was cut off. Yeah. It Again, it, the fact is, if you watch this movie, tell me what happened in it. Tell me, like, how any of it makes sense. Because it also, it's offensive. We didn't even talk about how it's kind of an offensive movie. You brought this up, like, you kind of went on a whole tear for a moment. Where you're like, it's offensive to men. It's offensive to women. It's offensive to homosexuals. It's offensive to heterosexuals. Yeah. You didn't think it was offensive to transsexuals, though. Well, I can't really say that because... I can't say that with any real credibility because I'm not a transsexual and I don't. I guess this was. I don't have any sort of special ability to say this is offensive to transsexuals. Yeah. Uh, But any sort of the way I feel about this is that any sort of ill treatment given to transsexuals in this film, which you know is. it's it's apparent is nothing compared to the overall shoddiness of the film where it's just it's offensive not because of singling out a certain a certain group or a certain uh type of person it's offensive because we're expected to like it and we're expected to think that it's a quality piece of art when really it's not it, any of it it might things. be a, it, it it almost the one way it might work is kind of as an artifact judging from it objectively speaking <laughs> from this one little tiny pocket of time where uh before hollywood started to get its bearings and uh make you know movies that could reliably bring in a profit um you know again this is 1970 it's a year where they you know are focusing a lot of their energy on stuff like you know they they do like a war movie like tora 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 mm-hmm. but then a movie like mash they don't really think it's going to do anything. And they're just like, eh, Zim Mash, who cares about that? And then lo and behold, it becomes like one of the biggest hits of the year um, mm-hmm. by a lot. Um, again, Hollywood didn't know what it was doing at that time. So a movie like Meyer Breckenridge or Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and- it comes in at this one little pocket of time where a movie like that somehow can get made by a major studio. Yeah. In that sense, it's impressive. It's just that, what they accomp- what they accomplish with it is just mortifying. Yeah. Like, this is a mortifying movie to watch because it's all just nonsense. One moment after another after another with all those clips that either are trying to get a gag out of something happening and it's just forced, or it's trying to make some other point that... Ugh. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. And it's not as if Beyond the Valley of Dolls is, is is a perfect film. I mean, Beyond the Valley of Dolls has a lot of things that are potentially offensive to homosexuals and even to transgendered people. Right. It's it's still in that time where Hollywood did not have the sensitivity to really deal with it in in a very mature way. Uh, so Beyond the Valley of Dolls has some of those same problems. I think the advantage that it does that it does have. Yeah. Is this just... It has nothing for you. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, at least you could say, wow, it has some really out there satirical jabs at consumerism and the marketing of something. like that Or fame. Yeah, fame. Uh, 
just for you know that that movie's existence is justified if nothing else by the scene where the where the girl is getting sexed in the back of the uh the (laughs) rolls royce and it becomes like about having an orgasm while picture like shots of like cars are in a montage that is that is smart that's doing something different this movie is it's fetishizing consumerism while they're just having sex in this fancy car for no reason. It's a set, but this one is assembled at random. Yeah. There are little moments where they throw in shots, and I felt like, is that a mistake? <laughs> like, John Houston will just be talking to somebody, and all of a sudden you'll see, like, a quick image from a black and white movie. And it's like, what's that doing there? Yeah. And, and there's a scene, like, someone gets shot in a different clip, and it's like, oh, it's because he fell over off that horse he was on. Yeah, it... No. Beyond the Valley of Dolls also had way better music, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how this turned into a referendum on Beyond the Valley of Dolls. I think but... I think it's 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 unavoidable because yeah, they're, made they're at the so same closely time. tied. I wonder if any of the and it's also ironic because you have two different critics involved with the movie. And by the way, I, Rex Reed was a film critic at the time that he acted in this. Wow. I actually didn't know that until I just looked it up. I mean, Roger Ebert was a critic too when he wrote. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. He was smart enough, though, just to write it. And then... <laughs> and he left know, it to leave the it up filmmaker. to everybody else. Yeah, Rex Reed decided, ooh, I'm going to try my hand at acting. And he's just so wooden in this. Like, he's he's not exactly bad in a way that's offensive. He's just boring yeah. to look at. He has no real on-screen... Nah. Um, and, yeah... It's. I just love finding out the trivia about this movie. Like, I want to. I want to read a book about the making of this movie. I'm sure they're out there. Yeah. But it's the fact that this director goes off for hours at a time, thinking by himself, quote unquote. And you know, that's just somebody whose head Reminds is so far up his ass. Fox production that came out recently, where a director had uh, to isolate himself. Oh. Yeah. We won't yeah. talk about that film. Yeah, no, that that. What's well, funny? Yeah, no, no, we you you'll probably know what it. Let's just say it involves a, a movie where Stan Lee couldn't even bother to make a cameo, which was a pretty good choice, actually. Yes. All right. So, uh, final thoughts on this movie? I I don't know if I have anything. I, I'm I'm trying to think of something else. To, oh, let's talk about the rape scene. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't I great at transitions, Andrew? Well, the reason we have to laugh at this... It's because, because it's so it's horrifying. So, po- so poorly thought out. It's it, it comes... It's so awful that you have to laugh at this. Yeah. There's this whole sequence where, um, finally, Raquel Welch's plan, uh, Myra's pr- plan to get Rusty, like, she's been trying to... Was she really hitting on him through the whole movie? Well, it's th- it's this script's version of hitting on him. Yeah, and then finally she gets him into her office or something, or a doctor's office. For some place. reason, she has a doctor's office. Yes, and she, little by little, gets him to take off his clothes. And has him in a almost kind of in a dom-sub kind of way. <laughs> like, as if she's the dominant and he's a submissive. And she straps him to a table. And... It doesn't show the penetration, but we're basically led to believe. Oh, and she takes off her clothes, basically leaving nothing but she's got this a red white bikini, a flag bikini. She straps on a dildo, and we're led to believe uh, sodomizes him. 
Oh, yeah, she sodomizes him. Oh, yeah, there's no question about that. But, but like, here's the weird part about it. <laughs> Which part? We, Of course the film is not going to show him being anally penetrated. No, it didn't quite get So they show this crazy montage, which for a moment started to make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, initially, I think you actually commented, oh, finally, the energy's picking up. <laughs> I think what you were you were looking for that Meyer esque montage. Yeah, I was. You know, it started to pick up, and I'm like, "All right, this is." I don't know what's going on, but for some reason, this film's like finding its bearings, and then it just gets. Uh, <laughs> it's awful. Yes, because it's awful in an unpleasant way. Yeah, it's like it's not like. There are moments in Southland Tales, I thought about that too, where you're witnessing this gigantic folly in front of your eyes that you can't believe somehow got made. But that at least has enough moments that are kind of entertaining, even when, in their batshit crazy way. When taken by themselves, you can look at them and say, huh, that's kind of a cool thing to look at. Yeah, there's a whole musical sequence with Justin Timberlake yeah, in that with, movie. Yeah, with the killers. Yeah, which is fantastic. It's almost legitimately just a great scene. And yet it come, it's in the midst of all of this crap. Um, I In in Myra Breckenridge, there is no line reading that's like Dwayne Johnson saying, I'm a pimp. And Pim still commit suicide. <laughs> yes. I mean, that line is stupid, but at least he delivers it with some charisma and with yeah. some meaning to it. He gives it some meaning. There's nothing like that in it's, Myra Breckenridge. But this whole sequence is just ghastly. Yeah. Is that a word to use? I think it's ghastly. It's mean. It feels mm. mean. There's no joy in this sodomizing scene, if that makes sense. It's, there's no joy in it like there was in the sodomy scene in Caligula. Ah, yeah. If you guys go back into our reviews, you'll find a review where we actually talk for two minutes or four minutes about Caligula. Yes. And I clearly say back in that uh, back in that review, the fisting scene is the best part. <laughs> but for some reason, there's something about anal penetration where you can do it and it's entertaining. <laughs> and if you don't do it right, you get something like in Myra Breckenridge where it's just kind of unpleasant yes and it's unpleasant in large part a because, because i the, feel like the we were supposed to think it was funny yeah yeah that, that's the thing it's like is this being played for laughs you you can't do that you have to and if you're gonna try to do that you need to be a little bit more clever with it you can't just string along a whole bunch of film clip saying oh, 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 there's a big penis oh, 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 oh yeah. there, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of sex things going on <laughs> like that's kind of the underlying tone of this fucking movie it's this like oh there's penis and there's balls like there's this whole moment where Raquel Welch finally reveals to John Houston I'm not Myra I'm Myron yeah. Or I was Myron, and and, like, and she like lifts her skirt, and, shows and he him. looks up horrified and makes and, some and reference. There's a to... lawyer who's looking at of her skirt, and then like he faints, and you get like the the timpani boom, <laughs> and then he makes some kind of reference to balls. Yeah, uh, it's it's not funny. It's not clever. It's sophomoric. It's just poor uh, judgment all around, and it's. Uh, and then, uh, and then we get past that, 
and we've reached the end. Pretty much. But the oh en- oh at the very end oh my god and I I begin to realize as the film is going to end where it's going to end up <laughs> and I fully, and I fully I, I feel it. like I feel like you I think you said to the screen I dare you and so I and I realized as the film is wrapping up and it's like oh they're gonna make it so it's all a dream and so I said okay film go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, film. This is what you've been leading up to. Give us your last shred of dignity. Do it. I dare you. Go ahead. Yeah. It's... And it <laughs> happened. For some reason, the film changed from color to black and white. And Rex Reed is in a hospital. And he wakes up. And we see Raquel Welch's picture on a magazine next to him. And it's like, it was all a dream. And I wanted to stab myself in the gut. Yes. <laughs> it just to throw acid on top of the... Just to throw extra salt on top of the wound. They had already added insult to injury, so now they were just throwing in another injury. Yeah. It, uh, no. D- uh, no! Bad movie! Bad movie! I know. Like, I would love to find out what the reaction was. Because I think um, this guy... Michael Sarn, who made, who directed this movie, he previously... I think he had come off of making some little... English psychedelic character study. It was called like Joanna or something. I haven't seen it, hmm. but apparently Donald Sutherland was in it. Nobody's seen it. It's pretty low ratings, but you know, he was probably hired thinking, Hey, we have this fresh young director. Let him have a go at it. And, and you know, kudos to Fox for, you know, giving somebody a chance and trying something that's outrageous. Well, again, that, that goes back to the example of the movie we shall not name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Fantastic Four. Uh, so we have this movie, which again, and then this guy never really worked again, uh, real or at least not seriously. Apparently, in the the trivia for the movie, um, uh, Gore Vidal said he got a lot of great pleasure, um, finding out one day like he was at some restaurant in the in the city in the in the mid late late seventies, and he saw the film's director working at a wait as a waiter at a pizza restaurant. Oh no! And he said, and I quote, "It proves that God exists, and there is such a thing as divine symmetry." <laughs> Classy Gore Vidal. Classy. Oh, um, yeah. It, this is just a, a colossal misfire. This is. Almost Battlefield Earth level misfire. There, that's our big fiasco that we're looking for. Yeah, where you have a studio that decides to... I mean, you could say that movie took a chance, too. Yeah, it certainly did. Making a make, making a movie out of a crazy Scientologist's uh, thousand-page book. You know what killed Battlefield Earth? Slow wipes. <laughs> Well, not well. Also, tilted angles for no reason. Touch. Oh God, tilted angles. Uh, there's a yeah. There, oh, tilted angles. Like every shot, it's like, what happened? Did the was the film director drunk? It, he, it's like the cameraman's neck is bad. <laughs> no, you know what killed that movie is the one moment where, um, like uh, John Travolta's cyclo bosses, or whatever, tell him. You're going to be on this planet forever with endless options of renewal. And it repeats <laughs> twice for no reason. With endless options of renewal. With endless options of renewal. With endless 
<laughs> he follows it up with an evil laugh. <laughs> I just love that. I quote that line all the time. There's nothing <laughs> quotable about Meyer Breckenridge. No. Is there any line that you could remember from this? Was there anything that you wrote down when you were taking notes? Where's my tits? Yeah, that's pretty much the most memorable line of the movie. Um, yeah. I, that, oh, that, that, hooray for Mickey Mouse. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There is a... Well, hooray for Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. Was that it? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know what? I think there's something we can take away from this. Okay. I'm not sure what it is yet. <laughs> Maybe it'll come to you like... You'll be in the shower one day, and you know sometimes when you're in the shower, your mind will just wander to a lot of different things. Oh yeah, I, and that all the, happens to me all the time. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, one moment you'll go like, "Oh, I know the secret to Myra Breckenridge." Yeah, I have to get this down on paper. That's a, that's a good title for a story: the secret of Myra Breckenridge. <laughs> but you know what? I always you know <laughs> you know what I, I told you this a few episodes ago. Okay. You can enjoy any movie as long as you have the proper expectations. Well, yeah, to be now to be totally fair, I did go into this not expecting it to be particularly great. I almost expected it to be pretty bad. I didn't expect it to be this bad. Hmm. Um, I was uh, I went into this hoping that it would be as bad as it was. And that's kind of a strange thing, but everything I had heard had led me to believe that this would be that sort of fiasco level. That production. unqualified disaster level. Oh yeah. And you know, I got what I wanted. So in a way, I see for me this movie I, just fulfilled what I my needs. <laughs> I think this was even messier than I expected. This is one of the ten worst films I've ever seen in my life. This is bad. This is bad. I want to spank this movie. Bad movie. Bad movie. I don't have words for it. It leaves me without proper critical devices because it just, you know, certain movies have real craft and thought behind it. With this, it's that whoever, you know, the director and editor went into the editing room and just said, let's put this here. Let's put this there. Let's put this here. And sometimes that works, but this time it does not. Yeah, I mean... I, I and, will maybe say, I will that, s- and maybe that's the big question I will that s- I would take from I this will film. say this. The director was trying something different. Now, is he successful? Absolutely not. No. There is no qualification here. He is... It, this is an unmitigated failure. No. Um, and, you know, it's also... I, I, again, the, the one other takeaway that I have is that we you don't really you can't really get movies like this anymore where they're are you sure well <laughs> let me put it this way you get disasters it is oddly watchable in a weird way like i there were a couple moments where i wanted to turn off the movie i'm not going to be lie there are a couple moments where i was just like if i was seeing this in the theater this is probably where i would get up and walk out hmm. i feel like you know, because sometimes you'll be watching a movie and you'll think, okay, well, it's not really that good so far, but maybe it's going to pick up. Maybe it will do some different things. Maybe it will get a little bit more cohesive. Maybe it's just building up a little bit and trying a few different things. But there's a certain point where you realize this is just the same flatline level bad, like from start to finish. There is and it's no not defibrillating this movie. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's my final thought on this movie. There's no defibrillating it. It is a magnificent waste of celluloid. It's it's uh, the joke I made while we were watching it was it's like watching money burn on the screen. Mm. And again, it might not be money like Cleopatra money, but it's. Uh... I gotta revisit Cleopatra. I gotta decide whether it's good or not. I think it's a good movie. Uh, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna decide for myself, but I'll keep that in mind. All right. Uh, and again, if you happen to have seen Meyer Breckenridge, uh, if you have any thoughts about the movie, if you have pain that you want to share, or if, you if you read, have feelings that you wish to discuss, if you want to join us on Doctor ja- on Doctor Jack and Doctor Andrew's uh, <laughs> uh, film uh, <laughs> rehabilitation course, um, you that's can- the name of this segment. <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Dr. Jack. That could be the start of something. We watch like unmitigated disasters and we call it Dr. Jack and Dr. Andrew. Disclaimer. Dr. Andrew and Dr. Jack are not actual doctors. Yes. Uh, this medication will not help you. It may cause nausea and severe diarrhea and direct child dysfunction. Please don't call your doctor. It also causes low, fast talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Make sure you email wagesofcinema at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at the Wages of Cinema podcast, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh etc etc make sure to follow us on soundcloud subscribe to us on itunes and if you happen to be on itunes please write a review Uh, i know you may need a apple id in order to do so so if you don't have one get one why not they're free yeah as far as i know um and so when we come back next week uh we'll have more movies more things Uh, it's, it's summer so there are things coming out. Uh, I know there's one thing that you'll want to see coming out in a couple weeks. What is that, Jack? Independence Day 2. Yay! <laughs> uh, I'm reserving my excitement. I'll, I'll see how it goes. All right. All right. And with that, I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. Remember, the wages of cinema is Mae West. Death. Well, Mae West's death. Well, he's, she's been dead for a while. Eh.